Hello? 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 Yeah, can you guys hear me? Yeah, I can hear you. Sorry, I was having slight troubles, but I got it, guys. Not again. <laughs> no, no, that was my fault this time. It wasn't someone else's fault this time. So, how's every, how's everybody doing? I am doing wonderful. I'm Bill, doing how great. you doing? How you doing? Oh, that's good. Doing great. That's doing good. Great. That's good. That's good. Uh, and I believe that's the Python Burrow on here. Maybe. Not sure. Wait a minute. Um. Oh. Yeah. So, what's everybody want to talk about tonight? Well, I got an idea. Sure. Why don't we talk about why you got these frogs? Because now you, I, I, I'm, I'm not going to own a frog because I, I've never been uh, interested in frogs like that. But at the same time, I want to learn more about them and what made you go into them. Uh what made me go into them? I, I thought they were just interesting. That's all. That gun doesn't work. <laughs> I really like them. <clears throat> so, that's why I figured I'd get some of them. You don't like them or something, or you like them, or you're not interested in getting any, or what? No, no, I like frogs. I'm just not interested in getting any right now, but, like, I like I know there's so many different there's dart frogs, there's tree frogs, there's the Pac-Man frogs, there's uh what do you call them other ones? Like the one Bill was a pixie frog. Pixie frog. Yeah, pixie um, frog. Yep. Which aren't very pixie. pixie. <laughs> <laughs> no, they get that. They're not, they're not pixie very frog. pixie in there. They're not very picky at eating either. They'll eat anything. No. And they get pretty big too, the pixie frogs. They get huge. Yeah. And then uh, I've seen people get bit by them, and it, you know, it looks like it hurts when they get bit by a pixie frog. <laughs> they got that bony little plate in the front that kind of pointy. Oh, owie! Yeah, I just, what made you go with the frogs you went with? Uh colors. I like the colors of them. Um, I just think they're unique because I, you know, if you want a bigger frog that gets bigger, that's a good one to go with because the pixie frogs get huge, but they basically only come in one color, I think. Right. Now, what can them frogs that you got eat? They can eat, uh, when they get bigger, they can eat pinkies, mice, just like a pixie frog. They get pretty big. You know, a female will get about seven inches across. Oh, wow. Yeah, so they get big. They get pretty big. That, see, I, I, didn't, I didn't realize they got that big. Oh, yeah. They were ordered a long time ago. They were ordered uh, way back. I think it was like the end of November, maybe. And it was still warm here, but it got too cold really quick. So that's what happened there. And that's why I've been waiting for ever for them to get here. Well, I, de- I mean, just seeing them, was, they, they were definitely worth the wait because they're absolutely gorgeous frogs. I, I just, 
I was just absolutely like, wow, I didn't realize it came in so many different colors. You know, I never really, you know, you, you look at dart frogs as being these beautiful frogs, and here you posted these, uh, I believe they're called Pac-Man frogs. And yes. I was like, oh, you know, I've seen some albinos, but yours has some reds in them and some greens. and. Oh, there's, there's more colors than that in them, too. There's a whole bunch of different colors. And they're voracious eaters, too. So that's another reason I'll pick them. They're not, uh, I think they're a little more forgiving, maybe, a little bit, you know? Right. So. Well, that's true. Uh, Oh, I had my first leopard gecko egg today, by the way. I saw that. I meant to, I was going to congratulate you on that. I saw that on the Instagram. Didn't you say you had crested gecko eggs, too, or no? No, no, just leopard geckos. Leopard geckos. Um, I I've never, you know, you know that's interesting. I don't know what Bill thinks about crested geckos because he owns one. Um, but honestly, I've never. I like how you can do well, real natural looking setup with crested geckos, but I've never been a big fan of crested geckos. And maybe Bill can change my mind on that. They're actually to- pretty chill. They're pretty chill. Um, Chloe had it, and the girls would come over, and they would get them out. And he would dump around and play. And, I mean, he was great with kids and everything. He still is. And he's gotten a lot bigger now. Um, We're pretty sure it's a male, now that it's big enough. Um, The uh, breeder I got him from, uh, Taylor Made Morse, because we've had it for about, oh, a year now. Right at a year. Mm-hmm. So, but it was, they're pretty cool. And they eat crickets, and uh, they eat the reptahash. And for the first year, that's all they really ate was the reptahash. And you throw an occasional cricket in there, and you chase it and get it. But now he prefers crickets. So, But I still supplement him with the reptahash which he's supposed to have. So, but they're pretty cool. And the leopards, you know, they're up there too. So. That's what I was going to say. I used to breed crested geckos, and I know they have to eat that. Uh, they, they, they're they not strictly – most of the year they'll eat crickets, but there's certain times of the year that they have to have the uh, – because when they're in the wild, they end up eating the uh, fruits and stuff like that, like the um, – uh, like the rapashi uh, uh, crested gecko food uh, type of stuff. Yeah, yeah. Oh, okay, Padina, okay. The padina and all that. Yeah, mixed, yeah. mixed fruit. That's, yeah. yeah, that's what I was say. People used to feed them baby food, but they say that, you know, I wouldn't do that, but that's what they said they did. And then they realized that, you know, like when you get that, the other stuff that comes in bags, like they got the pangea and uh, all them different varieties. They have every supplement that they need in it. And you just mix it into like a little slurry and put it in there. But the reason I don't do crested geckos no more, don't get me wrong, they're beautiful. Uh, they're great animals, but they're messy. They don't just mess what? the bottom of the tank. When they're on the side of the glass and they go to the bathroom, you got to wipe the entire... And, you know, I mean, it's... They're, and every inch of that tank, they're all over the place. 
That's what I was going to say. They're kind of like the tarantula of the gecko world. They let it fly all over the side of the glass, leaves, yep. whatever. You know. Yes, so they are not like uh, yeah, gecko, like our leopard geckos, where they go one spot. <laughs> yeah, no, they pick no, a corner no. or not, something. They're not litter. Yeah, they're not no, litter no. box trained like the leopard. Yep, no, no. Well, oh, he'll even do it right in a water bowl. He's like, he don't care. Yeah. Oh. What I found with crested geckos is uh, you have to wash the leaves. Like if you have a little tree, like little leaves in there and stuff, like a little, you know, make it look more realistic. You have to wash that all down because they go on the leaves. They go on everything. And then, oh. you know, they eat a lot more than like a, um, um, like a crest, like a leopard gecko would. You have to check their food every day because that stuff will go rancid pretty quick <laughs> with the um, like the Pangea food and stuff like that you got to change that up pretty quick because it, I never left well I did I don't know what Bill does but I did and then I would supplement with like um, insects every few days or once a week or something interesting um I, I got a, a a good topic I wanted to bring up. We'll see what, what you guys sure. think of it. I talked to Gavin this week on the phone for about two and a half sure. hours. And we both, you know, I didn't know he was doing this, but he was doing this and I, I'm doing this. Um, I stopped doing uh, mineral supplements for my leopard geckos about a year ago. Um, now, and he's he has some dart frogs and he's doing the same thing. And what I did, though, because, like, you know, why don't – and the reason why I started doing it is, you know, I, I used to breed leopard geckos like crazy back in the day. I mean, I'd, get, I'd do 400 leopard geckos a year. Um, and I used to – you know what it's like, the, the calcium, the, the, you know the mess, uh, yes. Andrew. You know exactly what I'm talking about with the, the calcium. And I started thinking, like, why are they doing that? Like, why is it, you know, as a keeper myself, I, I always want to figure things out. And okay. so what was it in their diet that I was missing, that I had to supplement that? Can and I, I realized, I you know, go ahead. The reason they do that, you have to have the calcium with uh, D3 in it, is due to the fact they're not in the sun at all. And in the wild... They do, you know, they're nocturnal animals, but in the wild, they do get a certain amount of sun. But in your terrariums and in your, like, your your uh, rack systems and stuff like that, they don't get the proper sun. They suffer from metabolic bone disease really quick right. and very easy. And, and that is true, which is why, and, and that's why I, was, I wanted to explain this to people, um, the way I have my leopard gecko set up is they're, they're by a window, and every single day, I pull that window up, and I, and the sun comes up and sits on them, you know, for a good four hours every single day. Um, and I, and you know, they definitely get. I've definitely made sure they get the sun because that is important for that because of that disease. And another thing I did is because I feed dubia roaches, I make sure I treat my dubia roaches as if they're one of my pets. And, I mean, I make sure they get the absolute best vegetables and fruit possible. 
And in doing that, I've noticed that my leopard geckos have actually gotten healthier. Um, fuller, thicker. Um, they just seem to be a lot more alert and more active than I, I'm used to seeing. Just some little differences I've noticed. Little little things I've noticed just by obviously giving the, my feeder food, better food is transferring to my leopard geckos, and also by making sure they get natural sunlight as well. And I think I've noticed more of uh, I don't want to say, you know, natural behavior because, you know, we don't know how these animals really act in the wild. I mean, we can watch a documentary, we can read about them, but unless you're actually, you know, there, you know, herping and, and, and documenting their day-to-day life, you know, that's why I say I think I'm seeing more natural, you know, things. Like like they go in their cave, um, their caves, but when the sun comes on them, I've noticed that they do come out a little bit, and they'll actually turn. Like they'll be, you know, their heads and half the body will be sticking out for a couple hours, and then they'll turn and they'll leave the other half of their body sticking out for a couple hours. Yeah why the sun is that way, which I, I find very interesting, you know, but they don't expose their whole body at once. No, because they're not, they're, they're, um, their skin is very sensitive to the sun also because they're not technically a, um, a daylight or a, a nocturnal uh, animal. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I you know, you, you can, you touch a leopard gecko, you feel how soft its skin is. Oh yeah, there it's a it's like especially your tail it's like velvet. <laughs> it's yeah, it's like velvet. It's just so it, it's it's uh it's I I'd rather be on the safe side and make sure I gave them the supplement cuz it doesn't bother me to clean it up. I I go through a lot of it because they do every yeah. time I go in there there's a little cup of it tipped over somewhere and it's hard to dust the crickets. I don't feed crickets, but it's hard to dust the, uh, like the the mealworms or the doobie roaches because the mealworms, you know, you dust them with that dust, they die pretty quick from it. Put them in there, you know, yeah, they'll be they dead. Do. So, I, I find it easier to just put. It. it doesn't bother me to do that. Um, but I do know that they can get white spots on their skin if they're eating too much of the calcium. I don't know if you right. saw that. So yeah. you got to keep an eye on that too. There's like a, a, a little balancing act you have to do there. Right. So and I, I put, and that's the thing. That's, go ahead. If, if I put calcium in and they tip it over today and um, I'll leave it there a day or so, and then I'll wipe it up and then I won't put none in again for a couple of days. You know, I, I don't have to have it in there, but I put it in there every, it's in there usually when I feed for sure. But I don't, you know, if I see them tip it over, I'll leave it a day and then I'll wipe it up and then I won't put no more in until the next feeding time, the next feeding day or once a week or something like that. Right. And that's what I used to do too. And, I, and, and anybody that's listening to this podcast or don't listen to this podcast, please do not do this unless, you know, attempt to do what I'm doing, you know, unless you're an experienced keeper and you know what to look for in warning signs because, I'll tell you right now, if I know something where I know they need that, they will be getting, I have, I, I buy, I don't know about you, but I buy them big jugs of it. <laughs> yeah. You know, they, you know, uh, you, you know, and so 
it, it, I have it on hand, but, you know, it's just an experiment I'm doing. And, and I got one good egg today, and it was a really good egg, so hopefully that will happen. 35, or if you, if you go off the of Wikipedia, folks, 35 to 80-something days. <laughs> I've never had a leopard gecko take me 80-something <laughs> days that. I was going yeah, to treat if, those. <laughs> if you're incubating it at, like, 50 degrees, man. Yeah, because yeah, comes upstairs and goes, it says 85 days. I'm like, priest, what are you on? It was like some Wikipedia thing. One well, in Yahoo answer thing came up, and I'm like, oh, good <laughs> Lord, son, please get off of that now. Close your phone, throw it in the garbage. Um, and I explained to him, I said, no, if you incubate at this temperature, or this temperature, and I and I and I, I broke it down for him, and and then he's just like, well, why does this? Why do they say 85 days? I go. Uh, honestly, son, that's because somebody probably had a leopard gecko egg, threw it in a dark place and forgot about it, and then like 80-some days later, they got lucky and it hatched. <laughs> yeah, they're like, oh, they're going 80 days, yeah. Like it was in a cage and they didn't know, excuse me, didn't notice it or something. But I do know that if you if you incubate, you, you told them what temperatures, right, because lower temperatures are uh, uh, most could be females, higher temperatures can be males. In between right. is usually, but if you breed like if you incubate that egg at like uh, a medium temperature, cooler temperature for uh, let's say thirty days, and then you crank it up to like way up into the higher eighties for the last like ten days or twenty days or twenty days or so it is, uh, the colors are brighter. Did you know that? Yes. Yes, you can okay. manipulate it that way, and and breeders do do that, you know. And yeah, a lot of people didn't know. I didn't know if a lot of people knew that or not. I didn't know. I guarantee a lot of people don't know that though. As a, as you know, what like I said, I used to breed all the time. I used to do that. Now I, I I'm just I got it um, just set up. It's at 86 degrees, and. You know, so it's going to take about mm, 35 days. Now, the one thing is, don't go cutting your eggs. <laughs> no, don't cut your eggs. These are eggs. No, because you'll be home. surprised. you got to laugh. That's a tiny little egg, and this good-sized gecko comes out of that tiny little egg. It's amazing. It's amazing. And, Bill, do you uh, plan to do any breeding and, of leopard geckos? Um, I'm liking to try to breed my uh, raptor. I have a male, and uh, when I run across a female, uh, I may may try to do that, but right now I'm just concentrating on getting the hang of the ball python breeding, and I don't want to get too many oars going at once, but uh, like next year maybe is what I'm hoping to learn a little bit more about them. So, yeah, I'm learning. That's fascinating about the eggs. And, yeah, I knew there was some color could be affected in the temperature, but I wasn't sure what that range was that would hide yeah, like, colors. I, I can't be 100% sure, but I think it's like 20 days at a lower temperature and the, la- the last so many days you got to crank it up and the colors are brighter yeah. and everything. I think BC... <clears throat> yeah, I think, I'm, uh, oh, go ahead. I'm still learning the different types of, you know, the genes and morphs and the snow and the high wide and 
normals. There's what I think and which five lines are, of albinos. Compatible. <laughs> yeah. Which ones well, are like, compatible? And I don't know. Yeah. There's three types of albinos. There's like three types of snows. I mean, it it gets pretty complicated. <laughs> right. Right. I think. Uh, is that KB Pythons here? Hey, how you doing? Hey. You guys hey, got hey. any geckos Hi. up there? Uh, we just have a leopard gecko as a pet. Oh. I know uh yeah, so I was listening I was listening to the eggs and the color variations and all the different types and just gathering in some info. No uh no plants to breed yet. Still focusing on the uh, ball python part of it, but it was interesting to learn a couple of things for sure. I uh, did you guys see his video the other day? The eggs. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. We were Thank you. Yeah, we were very happy with that one. Yeah, uh, that was that was nice. Yeah, that was that was pretty awesome. Was there anything else you wanted to talk about with the leopard geckos there, Jay? Well, yeah, I'm trying. I'm still looking at my almost decapitated, decapitated thumb. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you're decapitated. <laughs> I thought yeah. I got to amputated there. That's funny. That's funny. Yeah, the male. That's what I was doing. I was switching the male from one cage to another to hook up with a couple other females. And uh, when I grabbed him, he grabbed onto my thumb, man, and bit down and decided he wanted a piece of my skin. Oh, yeah. Normally they're not like they, that. Uh, breeding people skin. don't. Yeah, they're not. They're, they're, they're good. Like mine, like I said in the video I was talking about, like mine was good. He had a tiny piece of stuff shed. He already ate everything else off. And so he was already agitated. And then I'm holding him in a way to where he can't really move. So, I mean, you know, you have to really agitate them or disturb them, you know, for them to bite you. And most of the time, I mean, even the bite on my thumb, I didn't even feel it. I didn't even know I was bleeding until my daughter said, Dad, you're dripping blood all over the floor. I'm like, oh. <laughs> I was on my way to putting him, putting Big Bird back. And and one other thing I want to talk about is if you take care of your leopard geckos properly, guys, this is not a pet that's going to last five or ten years. You're talking a pet that can live 25-plus years. Oh, you know, absolutely. the average lifespan is 15 to 20. But they can live, I think I think the oldest one I've ever heard is like 30-something years old. Um, you know, so they can live a long life if you take them. So if you're thinking about getting a leopard gecko, understand this is at least a, a minimum of 20-year pet that you're going to have oh, to care for. I agree. See, now, I, when I do my breeding, I also do things a little different than other people. They have colonies, you know. They'll take a male and put them in with, like, four or five females. I don't do yeah. that. I take one male, and I'll switch them between tubs, you know. I'll take them out, and I'll put them in this tub, and then I'll put them in this tub, and then I'll take them and put them in this tub. I'll leave them in there for about three days. I'll throw them in this one for a couple of days, throw them in that one for a couple of days. Because I don't, I don't know, I prefer not to have them all in a big clump like that. I see a lot of people do that. They got them in like four females to one male. No, I I just take them out and I don't house them together. You rotate them, anyway. basically. Yes. Yes, where other people keep like, they'll keep like four females in one cage and put one male in there. 
which is different yes, than what I do. That is how I, I used one, to breed. Yeah. I, well, I did that a long time ago, and I just like it better doing it this way than I did that way. I agree. I agree, because right now I got my male in with just two females, and I would not add another female to that group, and I would not do that to my leopard geckos now. Um, like, yeah. I know later on this summer I'll be hopefully getting some geckos from you guys, and that's, you know, another thing. You know, yeah. when I do get those geckos, I'm not doing a big breeding colony like I used to. That's that's um, um, the, um, I feel like I went beyond that, because I feel like when I did it that way, yeah, it was great. I got lots of eggs. But, I mean, my male would lose weight quickly. I'd have to get them in, get them out, get them fattened back up. And I and I always felt like my females were constantly under stress when I did it that way, too. And so I definitely won't go back to doing that ever again. Well, I find it easier to maintain, to, to, to monitor food, how much each one's eating. Because I like to make sure the females are eating really good. And um, if they're like any other animal that lives in a group, uh, there's bullying going on and there's uh, like a pecking order. I know with discus fish, there's a definite pecking order. You put a school of discus fish together, one will become a dominant discus fish. The other ones will follow shortly behind. And then there'll be this tiny little one that just won't grow or anything. Because once that big one takes over and gets a certain size, uh, he kind of controls everything. So, and I'm sure that goes with the leopard geckos too, to a point, because uh, you're not. I, I'm not going to say for sure, but I'm not in there watching them 24 hours a day either. And I'm sure oh, that yeah. you know there's a little how things go. This way, I can monitor how much one eats and everything. I agree with the pecking order because I got two females that I, I keep together, and I can tell you exactly which one's the dominant and which one is more of the submissive role. Um, yeah. It, it, I can instantly tell Flamingo's the dominant female And Pearl is definitely more of the submissive one So there's definitely a pecking order And if you guys that don't own leopard geckos Or will own leopard geckos If your male starts shaking his tail He's not a rattlesnake He's no. just saying I'm horny And saying hello to the ladies Yeah, I love that <laughs> when, I, when I put him in a new tank I close the drawer When I put him in a new tub I mean, and I shut the tub I'll sit there and listen for a minute. And the minute I hear the tail, I, I'm like, oh, he's going to get his groove on now. Now I guess I can go on. <laughs> yes, I fun. love that. So. Hey, guys, I got a question for you. Sure. Uh, what's, what's your experience with, like, tail dropping with geckos? Is that common? Do you guys see that a lot? or? Well, with with, with the leopard geckos, they will drop their tails if you grab it and hold it and don't let them get away. So that's why you always let them sit in your hand and you let them walk between your hand or anything like that. And you really don't hold the tail. Uh, their tails doesn't fall off quite as easy as like a crested gecko. Uh, there's people who've had large colonies of crackets, uh, large groups of crested geckos. I was just on, uh, saw a lady who is breeding crested geckos, okay, and she has this whole room of crested geckos. She hired a contractor to come out and fix her roof, and he was up there fixing a barge board, and he shot a nail gun, and it made a thump, and she walked into the crested gecko room, and half of the geckos just dropped their tails from the noise alone. Where leopard geckos, she had them all laid out on the table. She was so upset. 
but uh, it it they drop it at just a little drop of a dime. The crested gecko will drop it, where a oh. leopard gecko, a little more forgiving, but they will drop it. And the crested gecko, I mean, the the leopard gecko will grow back, but it does not look the same as the regular tail. You know, it gets just yeah. like a bulb look, where crested that's gecko, right. they will not grow it back. They just get a little tiny nub, and that's it. Yeah, the crested geckos I see without the tail remind me of uh, when you crop a dog's tail. Um, yeah. And leopard geckos, the only time I've ever seen leopard geckos, like Andrew was talking about, drop a tail is when an inexperienced handler grabs it, doesn't let go, it'll drop a tail. Or when, like, when you go to a pet store and you see 50 babies inside one tiny enclosure, bites happen, and then oh, you yes. don't lose their tails that way. Yeah. Um, otherwise, leopard geckos rarely drop their tail unless it's something yeah. that it's got to be. I'd say, and I think Andrew agrees with me on this. Um, 98% of the time that leopard geckos lose their tail is due to human error in keeping. <laughs> oh, I agree. And um, mainly when they're young, when they're real small. Uh, like you said, when when you got a bunch of baby crested geckos in a group, one will grab the tail, the other one will shake and will lose its tail. That's that's the main reason. Um, so I find it's easier when once once my crested geckos hatch, I put them in individual tubs. I never put them in together because of the tail nipping and uh, things like that. A lot of people do put them together when they're small, but. I try not to keep them together at all when they're that when they're small because their tails will fall off much easier when they're smaller. And human error. Yeah, I separate my leopard geckos right away as well. Um, well, that's good to know. In the wild, we take our, uh... oh, go ahead. No, go ahead. Uh, in the wild, I'm sure there's more because that's more of a predator would grab its tail, and it would the gecko would lose his tail to get away more think more so than in the captivity that makes sense yeah no it's good that you guys were able to share that because we take our leopard gecko as part of our educational stuff and i often tell kids when they ask to hold it i'm always a little bit skeptical and worried so i i do it with some of the older kids but some of the younger ones i just let them touch it while it's in my hand because I'm afraid to, uh, like you said, human error. I'm just afraid that some young child may uh, accidentally pull on it or, or touch it the wrong way, and I'd hate to see it drop its tail for that. Yeah, I wouldn't worry about them touching it, but definitely if they grabbed it by the tail, it would, you would stand a chance, you know, because yep. I've seen adults lose the tail by little kids just grabbing it and pulling it, and it pulls its tail, cause, and then it tries to get away because it gets scared. But yeah, it, you, you, the person should be uh, a little more careful because it is an animal that can yeah. lose its tail. So that, that brings you. up a good topic. I wanted since you guys do education shows, and I know um, Andrew, you I know you've talked about it before, and you and, you and Becky have talked oh. about this. I think we talked about it a little bit before. Um, a guy, a good guy I know named Scott Borden brought a topic up and, and he took some heat over it on um, 
Facebook groups. I'm not going to name the Facebook groups, but he, he also mentioned it on Instagram. On Instagram, people are a lot more forgiving and a lot more understanding, but he was what he was saying was basically um, he, he is tired of seeing people do videos showing small children with these very large snakes in uncontrolled manners. And, you know, and, me, and they use this educational purposes and also homeowners. And when he says large snakes, he's talking berms and retics and stuff. And yeah. I just want to get your guys' uh, viewpoint on that. Well, so I can tell for you. Me, for, oh, go ahead. Go ahead. You first. Sorry. No, 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 go ahead. So go for, ahead. Us, you yeah, for us, our biggest snake that we take to any of the educational stuff we do is our uh, Nicaraguan boa, who's like six and a half feet. And we bring our ball pythons and, we, we bring a lot of our smaller animals out and we're always weary too of the age group that we're dealing with. So if I was doing something at a much younger age group showing, um, I would still bring my six and a half foot boa out, but that's not one that I would let kids just free handle where if I had my, uh, let's say for example, this leopard gecko or my bearded dragon or the blue tongue skink stuff that I handle on a regular basis that my kids can go in and take out on their own, um, I, I'm more confident with that. Now, if we do a, a high school event and I'm dealing with bigger kids and I bring Sapphire out and I'm there to help hold and, and show, for me, I'm very much okay. And we've had, knock on wood, great success with that. We never make anybody hold them. We never make anybody come up and pet them. It's always a volunteer basis. So uh, for me, the confidence of the person that's coming up also has a bit to say, but Carrie and I are always hands-on, always holding either the head or tail end of it um, and making sure that, you know, parents or other supervisors that are there at these functions are, are, are there watching us to make sure that we're very, we're very safe and care, careful. But I've never had the experience with anything bigger than that, never a, a retic or a Burmese yet. Yeah, um, see, here's what my opinion is on it, okay? Becky and I have done educational stuff for first graders up at the school. We've gone to nursing homes and all kinds of stuff. Uh, my opinion is even, this is just how I feel, I even with like a king snake or something, um, I, like I said, I've been keeping these animals for, 35 plus years and I've seen some pretty strange stuff like you you, you know uh, I've seen a king snake that you could pick up every day you could be holding it and just one second it decides it wants to bite you it's going to bite you so what I do yeah. is when I go on these shows I always make sure I got the bitey end and I let the kids touch the body and the tail and stuff like that because I had a buddy named Art and uh, I don't want to mention his last name because he'd probably be embarrassed if he listened. He had uh, a reticulated python. It was about eight foot long or so, and he decided he was going to put it in the tub because it had some stuck shed on it. So he put it in the tote with some water and up in the upstairs. And his wife was downstairs cooking dinner, and she didn't hear anything, and she didn't hear anything. And then she heard this bang coming down the steps. Well. When he went to reach for it and pull it out of the water, it bit him in the face. And it grabbed on, gave him 187 stitches in the face. And I said, you know, 
And that wasn't even a big retic. It was only about eight foot long. It wasn't even huge. But it bit him, and it, like, twisted and just ripped. So I'm assuming that. I don't know. I don't remember if it was a male or a female, but I'm going to assume it was a male because male retics, uh, when they bite, they usually roll and give you a good laceration. But, yeah, he had 187 stitches, and that's why I've always been leery of letting uh, little kids hold any snake or anything like that on their own. Uh, like at one of these shows, if I were to bring one out, I always make sure I'm, I got the head area and I let them touch the bodies or something. Cause I, I never, I don't trust any animal because, uh, a lot of people say, well, I can read that animal. I know what it's thinking. Uh, you really don't because they could just turn in a second and decide, you know what? Something could trigger it. Something could smell funny. They could have a smell on them that smells like a rodent or something. You know, you don't know. And they could just turn yeah, and bite no, somebody in it. Split second, boom. Now he no, couldn't I even. Now that brings up another. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, no, no. We're the same. I just want to reiterate that point. The same thing. Like I said, with Carrie and I, one holds the tail end, one holds the head end, and we usually just have the snake, uh, you know, rest on their lap or in their hands or something, so that we're we're controlling the two ends that you know could do any any real significant damage and uh, and. I think everybody still appreciates that and they respect the fact that we do that and all the parents and educational people that are at these events are always thankful that uh, I, I think you're being careful. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And my, my experiences with like the 4-H and the reptile shows, I'm sure some of you know about those. Um, the kids, what's the first thing they do? They want to pet the snake on the head. Yeah. So that's why I that's why I'm always like, nope. I say, I'll I'll keep this in. You can touch the tail and get used to it and touch its back, you know. But they always yeah. reach for it. They always start to go right for the head. So that's why whenever I do like to, we get they just asked us to do the summer, uh, 4-H fair. They want us to come back and do that one. So we're gonna be doing that in July. So it's it's fun. It's awesome. But. But you got to watch, you know, the kids, and that's that's just oh, a yeah. part of being a a handler and an exhibitor and knowing, knowing yeah. the differences. Well, one thing you have to worry about is if a kid were to hold it and they squeezed it too tight, it might scare the animal too. So that's why right, I always right. <laughs> And it wouldn't be anybody's fault. It wouldn't be the animal's fault. It wouldn't be the kid's fault because the kid doesn't know no better. It would just be, you know, it would be an accident and it could happen. Yep, right. that's, that's my thing. Jay knows it, and Jay's heard me say it probably a hundred times. It's got a mouth; it can bite. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> now, yeah. see, that brings up two key points for me. Um, and Andrew, I'm sure you can help with this. Um, one, you know, a lot of people that own these big retakes, you know, they're like, "Oh, well, I'm in a room. If I need help, somebody's out. Out, I can just yell out to them for help." Um, and I think Andrew can go into a little bit more detail about how that doesn't work. And then the other thing is, um, I think it's hilarious. You got a Nicaraguan or a Nicaraguan bow, and everyone says, "Oh, those are dwarf bows. He's six and a half feet." Yeah. <laughs> They're not dwarf bows, <laughs> but people will sell them as dwarf bows, and people will buy them because they sell them as dwarf bows, Nicaraguan, and a couple other species of the BCI genus. Because they say, oh, it's a dwarf, because it only gets four feet. Well, that's in the wild. In captivity, they, 
your the supposed dwarf bows usually get around five to six and a half feet. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I can tell you from experience that uh, dwarf retics really are not small animals, and they do not act anything like a Burmese python. I mean, like a ball python or Burmese python. Retics like to go. They like to move. They like to keep going. They're just. Uh, they're just a different type of animal. They don't like to sit still. When you're holding them, they like to be moving. Um, but as for being able to scream for help, like I said, my buddy, he got bit, it bit him in the face and wrapped around him, and he couldn't scream for help. His wife didn't hear anything until he rolled down the steps. And they got it off. He had to go to the hospital. He was fine other than the stitches. But uh, there was no yelling involved. And he went, yeah, I'll, I'll admit, he was a small guy. You know, if he pushed 110 pounds, he was big, you know. But um, it was just so quick, so fast, and he didn't have time to yell for help. I know there was a zookeeper somewhere, I think it was in Ohio or something. Uh, he got bit by a retic, and by the time they got it off, it wasn't even, it was just constricted around him. Uh, his heart had stopped. They saved his life and all, but it was just, that's how quick they are. You wouldn't think a big animal like that would be quick, but they are. Now, Burmese python is kind of laid back, relaxed, but they still can get, but they're just not as fast moving. Uh, when you hold a berm, they kind of like to sit there sometimes, but uh, the retics, they like to just keep moving. And then there's yeah. really no, there, there is a dwarf retic. But I have to say, people who think they hear the word dwarf, uh, you could turn that dwarf retic if you feed it enough food into a big one. You know, yeah. might not get 18 yeah. feet like a great big one, but when they consider, you know, 10, 12 feet is pretty big. Yeah, I think people forget about that. Anything <laughs> 6 feet, 7 feet, 10 feet, 12 feet, those are still big animals. Yes. Yeah. And they got big so. heads, big teeth, and it hurts to get yeah. bit by them. Lots of power. Uh, there, there was a vlog on the other day. I don't want to mention the name because I like the guy. I like his vlogs and all. But he was saying that uh, he would like to get retics in the future. And I had told him on a, his thing, I left a message saying that uh, dwarf retics really are not always dwarf. And... I don't think he liked that I said that because he said, well, he was talking to the breeder and the breeder says they don't get that big and they're fine, you know? And I'm like, yeah, that's probably because the guy's trying to sell you one, you know? They do yeah. get big. I, I don't know if you guys right. have ever checked into the size of any of them, but uh, dwarf yeah. retics are still big. Yes, I, and I and I commented a similar comment and he responded oh, you know what the video same I was talking about? And yeah. Yes, and it's like, okay, if you talk to that breeder that you say you talk to, there's no way he gave you that information. You're only, and this is what I think we, we you know, as, as when we talk to potential buyers, the buyers only hear what they want to hear. And if he talked to the person he said he talked to, I guarantee that person gave him 100% accurate information. Oh, okay. But he only See, heard I don't know what he talking. wanted to hear. Yes. And that's the thing, you know, we can give the information out to people, but it's up to the person to hear what needs to be heard. And, and I'll give my opinion on, um, you know, what I brought up the question. Um, for me can, personally, can I, I don't one? do 
Yeah, go ahead, brother. What, what I was just saying, and this person that Jay and I are talking about, I don't think they've kept uh, um, snakes for very long. I don't think they've been doing it for a long time. You, you know what I'm saying? I Like I said, I've got 30-something years. Jay, I think you're up there, too. Um, but I know I got over thirty, well, well over thirty years of keeping them. And, yeah, I'm, uh, I'm at twenty-four I, years now. Yeah. I don't think that this individual's been keeping uh, snakes that long. That's just my opinion. But go ahead, Jay. You continue on what you were saying. That's all I wanted to add to that. No, that was a good add-on to that, too, because it is about experience level. And I know a lot of people want to sit there and say, well, the only way you get experience is hands-on. No. You find someone that owns that type of species, you go over to their house, you educate yourself hands-on, too. Um, what I was going to say about educational shows, I have no issues with them personally, but for, they're not for me. I've been asked several times to go to my kids' schools, to go to a couple events here in town, and I always turn them down. And the reason why I turn them down is not because I have anything against them, but if something would be, if something would happen, my whole community would suffer. And I don't mean my community in my town. I mean the whole reptile community. I would make national news. And I am Absolutely. not going to be that guy for that. And I understand it's great to get kids involved. And I understand, you know, my kids are involved in this hobby. And I understand is and I understand why people do and I think it's I, I don't have a problem with that, but personally for me personally, I, I won't do it. Just because if something happens, it, it doesn't matter that my neighbor gets bit by a chihuahua every day. If something happens and one of my snakes bite because that kid could own a hamster at home or a rabbit at home and they got rabbit hair on a hamster, anything can go wrong and when you're talking you know, even like you said, a king snake was a perfect example. If, if that bites kid, that is going to make the local paper minimum, especially when it happens at, a, at an event like that because people are always looking to scrutinize our hobby. And for some reason, it's okay to have these little dogs bite everybody. And there's, uh, like I talked about before, there's over 400 dog bites in America each day. Um, but that's okay. But, you know, something with our hobby where something happens, I mean, we're all going to pay for it. And I see the, the, the biggest thing, I, and I agree with Scott Borden on this, is the thing that I hate is I hate seeing small kids handle big snakes, you know, especially when the head is, is they got the head in their hand. And I'm like, what are, like, what are you going to do? If that big snake decides to bite that small kid, I, as a grown man, I would have a hard enough time getting a, a, a 12-foot berm off me or a 12-foot retake, let alone a small child. And so I really, I, I guess my I guess my point is I'm against it. I just I just don't think it's I just I think it's fine to take them. They can look at them, but to me it's a no-touch policy. If I ever do one, it's a no-touch policy. Which is a good and point. Yeah, that's just me erring on the yeah. side of the caution. I'm the opposite, though. I'm trying to educate people when I do mine. I'm not out in a park, you know, showing off or panhandling or, you know, freehandling everywhere. I'm, mine are in a controlled environment, and I show, teach a class for like an hour on them before they even come up to look at them close. And well, right. I try Looking to, at them I try is one to thing, away, is another. Right. 
Right, that's what I'm saying. I try to ease those fears and educate them. And I don't think keeping them at home and keeping them away is the way to do it. I'm trying to promote it, you know, favorably. It's like so many people come up to me and say, I was so scared of snakes until I seen yours, you know, and they're not just vicious creatures. So that's why I do it. That's why I do it. Yeah, a dog, like you said, four hundred dog bites a year uh, a day in America. They right. don't make the newspaper unless it's a pit bull, which is you know, everybody kind of just to show that, that you know I just said that because that's just showing how people classify things. Now, with the reptiles, uh, it, where our hobby is such hated by so many people that like you're right. If you took a bunch of snakes to a, a um, an event to show kids and stuff. I and mean, a kid got bit by a king snake. Oh, that would make the paper for sure. Oh, and it would be a, it would be it would be a down. And you know another thing I wanted to bring up about people with these animals is the hoarders. Now I'm not saying you got to know your limit. You, you, like there's a few like last year there was a uh, garage in Cal- somebody's house in California was raided, and they had like 500 uh, ball pythons in there, and a bunch of them were dead. Um, oh. If you can't, if you if you don't have the means to uh, take it care of them or something, I don't think you should. If you can take care of them, fine, but you got to know your limits. I agree. Yeah, we just had, had that happen. We just had that happen here in southern Indiana about a month ago, and uh, the local pet store here was looking for people to take them in. And I'm like, I went and looked at these things and I'm like, there is no way I would take these things into my house. They were so state of, I mean, there's some of them actually had parts of their body decaying and things. It was like, no, no, thank you. Can't help you there. So that was somebody had, they had over 250 reptiles is all they said. See, and that's a shame. That's yeah, a shame. So you you got to know what you can handle. I probably get 10, 15 phone calls a week and 50 DMs, and people ask me about their animals, and I always, you guys know me, um, I'll be the first one to help you if I can. But the biggest issue I have with a lot of these questions is they ask me what I do. When I explain to them how I keep my snakes and my setups, and they ask me how many snakes I got, and then I explain to them, my setup's always like, well, I can't do that. Well, if you can't do that, then why do you own a snake? If you can't provide the absolute best stuff for your snakes or your reptiles, then you shouldn't own them, whether it's one or, like you're saying, a hoarding problem. And, and the hoarding issues come with these reptile shows especially because that's when, you know, I'm talking about the small reptile shows. Not, you know, I'm not talking like a Tinley or something like that, but I'm talking about like the Repticon itself. You got these people that literally bring in wild caught and oils and and different things like that, um, and they're selling or they'll sell ball pythons for five, you know ten fifteen bucks for normal, and people will start to build a collection up quickly that way, and then before they know it, they can't even take care of what they have. So I think it's I think there's a real issue with the breeders. Uh, we're not we're allowing these shows to do to happen with the type of breeders that we allow in the show with us. And I think if more of us boycotted shows that do this, the promoters would have no choice but to start, you know, laying the rules down. 
Like, look, you know, there needs to be a direction given, you know, so that way we get rid of, not saying you get rid of the cheap animals, because everybody should be able to afford a reptile. But the issue is when you start bringing all these animals in that are sick and everything like that, and these people buy them for cheap because they know they're sick, you know, now you've got 50 ball pythons that are all sick, and you're trying to have, you know, are you going to be able to medically get them to a veterinarian to care for all 50 of these animals at this point? Well, what I think goes on, too, somebody goes to a reptile show and they see this, this ball python, right, and they see it's like, let's say it's a, let's say $120, right, or $100, let's say $100. They're like, wow, that's $100. And then they buy it. And then they go online and they start looking and they see that these all these ball pythons have all these costs a lot. of Some of these cost a lot of money. So what they do is they look and they figure, well, if I buy this and this and this and this, I can make that, you know, and start selling it for that and make money. So what they end up doing is building this great big huge collection thinking that they're going to be able to make all this money. And they don't realize that they are actual work. They're not just like wow, look, it's going to be easy to do this. No, there's a lot of work involved. you got to, the food, the maintaining, and everything. And then they end up getting overwhelmed is what I think ha- a lot of the times what happens. And then, you know, like you said too, Jay, some of these places get sell sick animals, and they need to be regulated somehow. Yes. Well, you know, that's, that's, a, that's a topic there that I, I want to ask you guys about. Um, and, 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 and KB, I know you guys are in Canada, so I don't know how your shows are up there, but, uh, um, you know, how is us as breeders, how do we go about, you know, because we go up to these promoters. I've been to these shows. I went up to these promoters. I'm like, hey, that person's table, their snakes have nothing but mites. That person, their snakes are totally dehydrated from the ride over here. They're sitting in these acrylic cages and there's no water, there's nothing, you can tell they're dehydrated, it's too hot, you know, and the promoter's like, well, they paid their table fee. And to me, there needs to be some type of regulation just like at dog shows. I mean, if you did that at uh, AKC dog show, you would be thrown out and never allowed to enter another AKC dog show where people bring their dogs to show and to sell. Um, I just think there needs to be some type of regulation put on these shows to where we get, because I think a lot of these breeders just want to hurry up and turn over a quick buck. And if they're not allowed to make that quick buck, I think a lot of these bad breeders would go to the wayside pretty quick. Yeah, I, I, I agree. We've seen it in our shows up here in Canada. I think it's the same. I was, we had the privilege of going to Tinley one year and I, I thought Tinley was amazing, but you can see, like you said, some of the same, same things that, um, you see the dehydration. You see some that have mites. You see some that are you just look very thin for the age and and the sex that they're supposed to be. And like you said, I've I've never done a show, um, so I don't know you know what goes into all the preparation for it. But I can tell you that I've I've been to tables where I said I really want that snake for my collection, but it won't be that snake. I'll have to get it a different way. Just I can see what's happening. Yeah, I think that um, I think they need to. Some of the places will monitor it, but when you get to the bigger shows, I think it's hard for them to go and monitor every single table. 
So I don't know. I don't know how they could go about regulating each individual table and each animal at each table because some of these tables have hundreds of animals. And I think it would be right. hard to go and inspect every animal on every table that's in there. I think they need to educate the buyer into saying, you know what, this these animals are sick at this table, so I ain't buying them from this table, you know. That's right. where they got to do some changes at. Just what I was getting ready to say, our, the, the show I do every month here um, where I sell my racks and some of my snakes, you know, um, the guy comes around and he looks at everybody's stuff. Now, does he get out a magnifying glass and, you know, look for certain things? No, but he does walk around a little bit. Um, but that, you know, does help somewhat. But, yeah, I go to some other states, too, and it's like, you know, you walk in the door, you could walk in with a live pig. They wouldn't know what you're selling, you know. That's the way some of them are. <laughs> Yeah, I get when they do that. Yeah, I get another. It's the catch-all show, right? And then I get um, people that have come up to me and ask me, "Bill, could you go look at this snake for me? I I don't know. I like it, but something looks weird about it." And then you know, yeah, it's dehydrated or something. I go and look at it for them, but you know, yeah, it's, it's out there. It's a shame, but you know, I don't think there's any way to regulate it other than. You know, if they had an inspection thing they went through or something in the beginning, but that's, right. I don't know. I'll tell you. What I, think, um, I think we could do if we did a club. Like if, if, you know, every state or every area where they do these shows that they had, you know, if they got together with good breeders and formed clubs, and then when the show got on, their job is to walk around and just check on different tables and make sure everything's on the up and up. Because I don't know about you guys, but how many shows have you been to, especially the smaller shows where the you'll come across the breeders like, you know, especially in Chase where, you know, you have to have a permit to have hots. And they'll be like, they'll be doing backdoor deals where they're like, oh, well, you know, if you want this over here, just, you know, meet me outside. <laughs> You know, so I think if we got like a club going, like if they got, if we all got clubs going for shows, I think it would cut down a lot because you would have more than just one or two people. You'd have five or six people walking around the tables and making sure everything was on the up and up. Obviously, things are going to get by, but I think it would cut down a lot. And and when we talk about educating buyers, that I think is great, but that's not going to happen at a show because most people when they go to show. It's a lot of times it's their first reptile show, they're impulse buyers. So the education can happen if they come to like someone that's like Bill's table where everything is set up nicely. I've heard Bill tell me some things where he's told the guy, told people like, oh, no, that's nice no longer for sale. Because just after talking with the person, he's realized they're not equipped to deal with that person. Um, so I think that, you know, a breeder, you can get an education at show with the right breeder, but for the most part, I mean, you guys know what it's like. To, at least I know what it's like to vent. I, I'm sure you vented, Andrew, and I know you vented, Bill. When you've got, you know, 30 people at your table, it's hard to educate each person. Oh, of course it is. I'll tell you, we did a show here, and it was a, a local um, friend of mine 
who owns a reptile store. And what they did is with the reptile store, they turned around and um, vended this show. They vended it and all that. Well, they, they set it up is what they did. And everybody who came in for the show, there was a pet, there was a guy in there who brought a bunch of uh, snakes and reptiles in. And they were sickly looking, and he decided to feed them in the middle of the show. They made him pack up and leave. Pack up and uh, leave. Oh. You know, they were like, nope, you guys got to go. Oh, wow. Yeah, they made him. They said, you yeah. got to go. You got to pack your stuff up and get out. Because they can't, you yeah, can't, but... you know, people come in there with little kids, and then they are just looking around. You know, they want to buy a gecko or something, and they see these snakes, this guy feeding li- monitor lizards and all. You know, that. <laughs> just isn't right so they made him pack up and leave and he had then he pulled out his other stuff and some of it looked sick in the middle of the show they made him pack up and leave so yeah they 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 handled it right but again that wasn't a big show either it was kind of a small little thing it wasn't really huge i think ed from cmc reptiles just called in hey ed how you doing Hey, Andy, how's it going? It's going pretty good. We were just talking Sorry, about so uh, oh, don't. life gets busy. It's fine. You don't have to worry about it. We were just talking about how to, uh, if there was any way that people can regulate, uh, like the reptile shows to make sure that you're getting, people aren't selling sick animals and stuff like that. Oh, okay. You, do you have any ideas? Uh, I don't know. I mean, you know, I'm I'm going to be in this. I'll be at my first show this year, the Sacramento show, and it seems they they almost let anybody in there, um, as long as you have a seller's permit. Um, they allow you to go to those shows. I mean, I've even seen people selling jewelry at those shows. Yeah, but I agree. I think they should screen to a certain now. You know, when you say. Seller's permit, you mean like a tax license type of thing, like a business yes, license yes. or something? Yes. Okay. It, no, well, well, I mean, a business license is one. You could have a business license without a seller's permit. A seller's permit is where the IRS keeps track. Uh, the state actually keeps track of the tax, the sales tax, basically, especially here in California. Oh, okay, okay, okay. <laughs> no. Yeah. It's not, I'm sure. Yeah, it's California, let me keep no money. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah, California, we've um, got an idiot running this state. Yeah. I don't know if, uh, Tinley, if you have to have a seller's permit or not. Nope. You just uh, got to fill out the application. Yep. Oh, see. Yeah. All right. That's the only yeah, shows I've ever, I didn't know. See, California's on top of getting their money. Yeah, because you guys, and, even uh, like Nevada. Nevada, Oregon, you don't you don't pay state tax in those in a lot of states, but here, yeah, they ream you. We pay the highest of everything, the highest insurance, the highest gas. I mean, uh, registration is tax. Everything is. I mean, my my truck registration. I just got my registration tax six hundred dollars. Holy oh, crap! I mean, it's ridiculous. Yeah, That's we have a whoa. we have a twenty percent we have a twenty percent tax on our gas. I mean, oh. it's just unbelievable. You're making guy you register my car. I just registered yeah. my car. It was $58. <laughs> oh, my God. 
I wish. I thought Illinois was bad. My rest <laughs> was 100 for one of my vans. That was it. Ooh, yeah. thought that was high. Yeah, I just have a Ford F-150. I mean, I don't have anything fancy. Yeah, 600 yeah, bucks. over there with that taxes, Ed. Yeah, that's crazy. Oh, I'm, I'm planning is- on I would like to actually retire in uh, Nevada and move to Sparks. I like that high desert area, <clears throat> you know. Yeah, because this state is just too, it's too expensive. The houses are ridiculous. I mean, ridiculous. What you guys probably could buy in your state, I don't care what state, unless you're in New York or Chicago. I know those are too high in Hawaii, but, you know, California, you can't find any house just here in Vacaville, and I just live in a little cow town. That's under a half million dollars. I don't care how small it is. You're paying a half million for your house. And, and even the higher end areas in the, you know, multiple millions. It's crazy. That it's is crazy. crazy. A lot of people are leaving this state, too. A lot of people are moving to Arizona, uh, Nevada, Texas, uh, Colorado. I love Arizona. But I know my yeah. sister paid when she lived there. She lived in Phoenix and she when she would register a car. It was in the hundreds and hundreds of dollars too, and I was like, "Wow, that's nuts!" Yeah, it's crazy. It's crazy. Yeah, the shows here are the same way. They that's why you always want to bring cash to a reptile show because then most of these guys won't they won't charge you any tax if you pay cash. <clears throat> yeah. So they they hide you know they hide under the gun so they're not getting too bad. But yeah, I think it's a great idea. So how they would do it? I mean, I think maybe they should make sure that whoever is selling their animals has at least a few years' experience. I don't know, or I don't know how they can do it. Or inspect the animals somehow before they bring them in. Yeah, that's that's what they do here at our local shows. The uh, they have a form you have to fill out, and you can't uh-huh. just show up and say I'm gonna I'm gonna bend today. They're usually right. booked. They're usually booked for uh-huh. months ahead of time, and you got to go online and fill out their thing so they know who you are or what you'll be bringing in. And they do come around and oh. look at them, but for some of idea. the bigger shows, yeah, they don't they don't do anything but take your application and your two hundred and fifty bucks, you know, and you're in the door. Yeah, yeah. and then you're set. <laughs> no, and what I, about, I don't know. What about I mean, have, have, have you guys ever ran into problems at the shows where you picked up a sick animal or seen sick animals? Uh, well, oh, like yeah. I was just saying before you checked yeah. in yeah, here, absolutely. I was at a show. I even vended the show, and they made a table that was about, I don't know, about halfway down for me, they made him pack up and leave. Really? So, yeah, they, wow. they, yep. they didn't like anything he had. It had to go. And before wow. I was even bent, before I was even bending at these shows last year, somebody had a, a snake and the guy goes, I think there's something on it. And I said, well, hand me a, a paper towel. This guy handed me a paper towel and I wiped it. And I'm like, look, and there you go. They said, okay. Put your stuff in the box and you're out of here. You know, wow. It was calling with mites. It was like, and then they asked him to leave. That was, that was it. That was, now, you know, I was even selling at them. 
What would man. your guys' thoughts be about having a vet at these shows, like walking around from table to table as the shows are going on? That's a good idea. Yeah, that's that would be a good they idea. Do that in the UK. They, you know, each vendor would yeah. have to pay a little portion to have a to pay for the vet to stay to, to walk through yeah, the shows. Yeah, like if you're stuff. having 30, 30 vendors or 50 vendors, everybody puts in an extra couple of bucks, and the venue can have a vet walk around and check animals as the show is going on and just see who can stay and who can go. Yep, shut it down, shut your table yeah. down if it's, you got bad stuff. Yeah, yeah I agree. I, I, that would make people yep. step up and have a higher quality too then. Yep. Yeah, no, I don't know about you guys and what you do, Bill. I, I know me, when I go to shows, I haven't been to shows in, in a while, but I know when I, when me and Priest have gone and when I used to go to shows, um, and I've talked about it on, on my YouTube before, but what I do is I wear, uh, wear my jeans, I wear a T-shirt, and I wear shoes that I keep out in the garage. They're nice shoes. Um, and if by any animals I take that I bring home, all can get treated with frontline immediately because, you, you know, people, different people – come by your table, they touch your table, they do things like that, mites can transfer on you, especially if they're wanting to hold the snake to see if they want to buy it. Right. Um, but yeah. for me, um, before I even step in my house, my shoes come off outside, we go in the entryway, um, and I strip, and priest will strip, and we both go into different showers, and I wash, and the clothes then go straight into the washer, and I wash myself before I go anywhere near my snake room. After I do that, every single animal that I brought that did not get sold, then gets treated with frontline, um, just as an extra precaution. Because it is, I can't tell you how many people I know have picked up mites from snakes. Yeah, that's a good idea. Wow. I had a, I, I, I had a big time boa breeder tell me, just like this, because when these people come through there, and he he vends shows, he goes, he takes his animals to these shows. He goes, I go, well, when you go home, you. What do you do? He goes, he puts them in quarantine right away. He goes, because I'm going to tell you, these people go to this table over here and look at this animal. And then they come and look yeah. at your animal. And he goes, them little bastards, them little sons of bastards. That's just how he said, them little sons of bastards, little shits are jumping off them, <laughs> just flying onto your shit. That's just how, I don't mean to curse, but he said, that's just how he put it to me. They're just flying onto your stuff. He goes, so when I go home, I put everything in quarantine, treat it for mites, and go from there. He goes because you know he even changes his clothes like you do, Jay, outside, and he's got a whole separate room in his quarantine room. He changes everything in there, and then he goes and gets a shower and gets changed before he even goes into his other room. He goes because you would be surprised at how many vendors have mites, or you know they might wipe their yeah. stuff down before they get there, and even the eggs cling to people. Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah, yeah, yeah we even do it. I even do it with my rat. Yep. I have racks there, and I didn't sell. I leave them in the garage. It's been good in the winter. You know, I can just leave them out in the garage for a few days before I bring them back yeah, in the house. Yeah, spray them down. Yeah, you can spray yeah. them down. Oh, yeah, I wipe, every, I wipe everything down when I come home from the, any show. Wow. Yeah, we're that's crazy. crazy. Even if we're just shopping at a show, we come home and take clothes off and get showers and do anything before we go anywhere near our snake room. Yeah, that's unfortunate because a lot of people probably don't even think of doing that, especially people oh, that are not. buying pets, you know. You know, another thing is is the people that bring their pets from home to walk around the show. with. Yes, yeah, I see that. Through the, the show. That's what makes me, that's what makes me nervous because 
We don't yeah. know what's on those things. You know? Yeah. <laughs> I see that all Yeah, all I don't think that should be allowed. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. It shouldn't be allowed. You know, they yeah. shouldn't allow any outside animals. <clears throat> no. Just vendor animals only. Uh, that's great. But I'm sure shows like, I mean, even Tin, I mean, I've never been to Tinley. I mean, the biggest show in California is the Pomona show. And to me, it's no bigger than the one that's up here in Sacramento and the one in San Jose. Um, and there, you know, there's good top reputable breeders at all these shows. You know, you see Jay from Prehistoric Pets. You see uh, um, El Scondo Pythons is there, uh, Jeff and uh, Megan or at those shows. But in, when you see those guys, you think, ah, these guys have healthy animals. You know, there's no worries, but you just never know. No, you don't. Like you, said, they could, you just they could pick something up from somebody else. And they, they're always letting kids hold the snakes, and these kids are going from table to table holding yep. all these animals. Maybe they shouldn't allow that unless you're yeah, buying them. I can tell you at Tinley they that you can't carry animals in there. Even if you buy an animal in there and you walk through the first glass doors, they won't let you back right. in. They're like, but I'm going to the bathroom. That happened to a guy. He's like, I need to go to the bathroom. He's like, well, you need to take your snake home and then you can come back. Yeah. <laughs> they won't yeah. let them bring it back in. That's a good policy. It is. It is. That is a good idea. Yep. Because you have to protect um, your collection. That's the biggest thing. You have to protect your collection. I see a lot of um, bigger breeders, too. Not bigger breeders, but I see people who, just watching YouTube, who buy these animals. They get shipped in, and they put them right into their collection without putting them in quarantine. And I think that's a problem due to the fact that if that snake has something wrong with it, not even just mites, other things, some of that right. stuff don't show up for a week or two, you know? And yeah. then you could have a major issue yep. going on in your whole collection. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Very true, yep. And, and yeah, and, and I think know. that's a key point. They think because they buy it from a well-known breeder, like, oh, this for, I don't care who I buy my snake from. It's going into quarantine. Yeah. 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 Because even Brian Barczyk has said that he's had a couple of times where he went to those shows and brought back mites and had a yeah. bad mite problem, you know? Cause yeah, he said that's the same because thing. people from table yeah. to table, yeah. Move around. I've, I've been lucky so far, not on the way, and I haven't had any issues with mites at all. So I've been kind of lucky. But I even just... Precaution, I spray my room down once a week with the preventamite. Yeah. I just spray it around the you know, around the bins and in the the racks, the carpet. I just do it once a week after I do my water change before I do my water change. <clears throat> yeah. Just to you know, just in case. Which doesn't hurt anything. So far so good. It's always good no. to be pre- no. prevented and be protected from it. Yeah, and don't ever yeah. you know? I see all my happens, snakes don't... twice a year with front line, just to be safe. Yeah, yeah, and that's good, good to do for sure. Yeah, smart idea yeah. for sure. We do, we do the same over here. 
Yeah, because you just don't know what the heck you're bringing. And I think that's why a lot of people like using the paper, too, is um, you use paper, you seem not to have, you know, might problems. And if you do, they're easy to get rid of using the paper. Because I know that's why a lot of people do it. Yeah. Right. But it's not good to do it. (laughs) No. Well, I mean, newspaper, but... I mean, if people are using craft paper and, oh, yeah, you know, things like that, the blank stuff, because I know that's what Barcheck did. He went pretty much straight to paper. But now he's promoting that Reptile Prime stuff that I use. Um, slowly, I think he's starting to move to that, back to that anyway. Yeah. Um, have any of you guys heard about that uh, fungus that their snakes get? The vet told me oh. about something last year that was a, he told me about some kind of, it's not a respiratory infection, but it's something, nope. if the snake gets it, it's pretty much done deal. Yes, you they cannot can't get, get rid, rid of it. it. Is that what you're talking? Yeah. Yeah, it, it actually, it grows on their their face and stuff. It's on the outside, it's like on the outside of their skin. Um, it, 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 there's whole states that snakes in the entire state, wild snakes are dying from it. And if you bring it into your collection, your collection will get it. And the same thing will happen. Yeah. It's, it's, it's devastating. Yeah. And there's no cure for it. That's crazy. That is crazy. Yeah. That sounds like well, something guess, we had here in Indiana with the bat population the last couple of years out in the caves. They had a white lip or a white fungus was attacking all the bats, and they had to close down all the attractions. You couldn't go oh, on wow. cave tours or nothing, yeah, because all the brown bat population was infected with this fungus, and it was spreading and almost wiped them out. Wow. wow. I know... Um, the timber rattlesnake up in the Appalachian area up towards, like, you know, in Pennsylvania and up right. that way up through New York. They got it really bad with the with the timber rattlesnakes are almost are getting wiped out by this fungus. Where do they say what causes it? They don't know. I, I don't do think they, they really know. know what's causing it yet. I just know if you, if you Google it, <laughs> you'll, you'll see it. I was going to say... Is there something you could Google to find out more about it, or just just Google the snake, uh, like snake fungus or whatever, and it'll show you okay. pictures of the animals. It'll just it'll be, it's devastating what it does to huh. them. The vet told me it was caused by. You were thinking it's caused by high humidity, too much moisture, because that's basically what? what fungus grows on is you know yeah. wet, you know humid areas so I don't know if that yeah. has a cause to it I'm not 100% sure I just know that if your snake gets it it's over yeah that's what he told me there's no nothing can help it pretty much going to die he actually gave me a whole pamphlet on that thing too I just never read it and it was actually the pamphlet was every, all the pages said nerd so it came from Kevin McCurley yeah, the that's another the paper you, on the phone. Yep, because he's the one that did it on the um, 
the rattlesnake, and he, he uh, is talking about how bad and devastating it is up there. So, oh, I bet yeah. New England. Jesus. Yep. Yep. That's oh yeah, that's crazy. Hopefully, it doesn't, you know, become a problem through. I mean, I have yet to hear anybody that. You know, I don't think it's too much in like collections. Me. Yeah. Yeah. No. But uh, they're telling, you know, a lot of people go out and catch snakes and bring them and put them just in their collection. Yeah. If you do that. <laughs> that you don't want you to ever do that. No. I mean, those things you can carry in turn. You know, I, I was actually, I was, uh, I actually paid for a huge collection of wild caught uh, ball pythons. Um right out of Africa, and then I changed my mind because I started thinking about them, the internal parasites they carry and all the stuff that happened. So I actually canceled the order, and even though I sent the money already, I got a couple of blue tongues instead. Um, yeah, because the more I thought about it, I was a little bit worried about bringing those in, being wild Yeah, that would be, that'd be you know. scary. Yeah. And people still bring them in, but I don't there isn't too many, you know, yeah. I don't see the point of bringing them in from the wild because people get these, they try to do these dinker projects and stuff like that. The dinker but projects, I, yeah, that's yeah. that's the whole thing. It, yeah, there isn't too much that, most. Uh, there's still stuff that comes out, but unless it's very eye-catching, I don't see yeah. any point of bringing stuff out of the wild no more. There's only one guy that is probably the biggest collector of those right now, and that's Mike from uh, Outback Reptiles. Yeah. He he brings on a lot of those of wild caught, and that's who I was going to get them from, was right from him. But then he, he was honest enough to say, hey, you know, these these do, you know, I'm treating them right now for, you know, uh, parasites, internal parasites. Um, so he warned me about, you know the, the the issues that could come up and that I have to be prepared for. He even asked, "Do you have a good herpetologist in the area?" And I go, "No, <laughs> just veterinarian." But that's what changed my mind. So it was nice enough uh, of him to kind of give me the warning about that. Yeah, you, 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 I wouldn't. I mean, I've had people offer like you to go and. Partners on getting a bunch in from the out wild. No, right. like, nah, I don't. I don't think so. <laughs> and these were big. I mean, some of them. Two of the females were forty five hundred grams. They were massive. Wow. Oh. That's why I was so interested because they and they were so different looking. I mean, the patterns, even the color. So I just thought it would be cool to breed it with maybe one of my males, you know, captive. See what you come up with, but. Yeah, I decided not to because <laughs> I didn't want to risk. No, yeah, I agree. What? What? While you're thinking, speaking, or talking about those things, I get I get these requests from Facebook people, from people like in Uganda or something that want to be my friends, uh-huh. and then the next thing that they're sending you a message that says, "Hey, I want to send you 200 snakes." So I'm like, "What?" <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> That's a big no. Yeah, boy, uh, next. Yeah. So here's where they get yeah, you. Yeah, we'll let the... We'll, that that, that 200 snakes... We'll, like, 
They, they sell you the 200 snakes, right? They'll sell them to you for like $10 a piece, but the yeah. shipping and the handling and all that stuff yeah. that's got to go through comes out to thousands and thousands of dollars. Thousands of dollars. You got to yeah. you you buy them a boat and, uh, you know, bring their family over or something. I'm like, what the hell are you talking about? Bury <laughs> <laughs> their daughters. Nope. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, not interested. Yeah. <laughs> well, we're down to four uh, minutes. Yeah, there's. So. Okay. How you like them? Go ahead, Jay. What were you going to say? Oh, they're well, I was going to say, I, I know a lot of Irangias are imported. Um, Irangia carpets are imported here. And oh, are they? I get offers all the time, and I always turn it down. Um, just because, I mean, captive breeding is so good, even in, even with carpets. I mean, there's just no sense in, you know, doing wild-caught stuff. It's just... No. Right. Hey, Jay, yeah. I have a question for you on, on the carpet pipeline. Do you think that's becoming a much bigger... It seems like a more popular snake now, the carpet pipeline. It's becoming. Yeah, I'm with starting all to the notice. different morphs that are coming out and yeah and things like that. You know that has changed the landscape because when I first got into carpet pythons, even an ugly jungle, uh, just right. a, just a run of the mill jungle would cost you six hundred to eight hundred dollars, and for a really nice jungle, wow. you were talking a thousand, thousand five hundred. Now, with all the morphs and stuff, you can get a really decent looking jungle for. 300 bucks, but were more so more expensive. And so that's created a huge explosion in the popularity yeah. and the fact that they're, let's, let's be honest, they're, they're, they don't get to be, you know, different species, you know, as long as you don't deal with fossils, they don't get huge. And they're, they hold their color for a lot, lot longer than your average ball python, and they're more entertaining than a ball python. Ball python, let's yeah. face it, is a beautiful snake, but it's it's boring. It's let's right. I mean, it it to where a carp python's like I'm I'm looking at one of my carp pythons right now. It's climbing. It's it, it's moving around, and I just looked at another carp python was yawning and actually going to get a drink. A lot more active. I mean, they're more active than my boas, and they're an attractive snake for people because they get good size. But they don't get right. too big like a boa, and but they don't get they don't say too small like a ball python. They they're a good right. intermediate snake, you know, to where it's like, yeah. hey, I got yeah. a bigger snake, but it's a manageable snake, and yeah, they sure. got beautiful colors. They do. Well, let I me mean, tell you something, Jay. Yeah, yeah. Some of us people like our pet rocks, <laughs> and they're not all pet rocks. You know, oh, you know what? I'm, no, I'm going to own when, ball pythons eventually. But, yeah, they're, when, they're boring. When, pe- when people call them pet rocks, you know what I tell them? I said, you obviously don't own any spider morphs. <laughs> I, you know, I, you know, always people, moving. people say that to me, and I don't know how many of you people are. Well, I know, like, uh, Ed, you're old enough. Bill, you're old enough. Uh, do you guys remember when they used to sell the pet rocks in the 70s? Yes. 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 I wasn't alive in the seventies, but they came back out in the eighties and I remember you could get this little box. <laughs> you got a little box I, was sad. I was sad when, when I, I was a little mine, kid. We... Ran, mine ran away. <laughs> when I was a kid you got the little the little carrier case, it came with the rock, had a little booklet in it that explained to you oh, how yeah. to take care of the rock oh, the yeah. tricks it yeah. would do. 
Yep. Well, we didn't have we didn't have social media back then, so they could sell you nope. a rock. We buy it. <laughs> guy who invented the, I saw a report on that guy who invented the pet rock. He made millions of dollars on Probably that back in the seventies. Of course yeah. he did. <laughs> oh yeah, it came with a little box with a cage in it and it had a little confetti yeah. paper in it for a cage. Yep. <laughs> uh, How about you guys I up miss- there in uh, Canada? Did you guys have that same problem up there in Canada? Did you guys get you pet know rock? what? I I didn't see a pet rock before. Now I. <laughs> I may have been one of the unprivileged children that didn't get to own one of those, but I, I don't remember that one. <laughs> 70, I'm a '74 baby, so I'm not sure. I'm not sure oh, about that God, one. You guys are really yeah. No, I remember my uh, my funny. sister got one. My both of my sisters got one, and that's how you know it was pretty neat. A little booklet come tells it does tricks. You. Can, I was like, oh, wow. Now you're making me want to, wait, I have a pet rock. I, I still have one. <laughs> My daughter painted it white, and she painted a scorpion on it. So technically, oh, I cool. still have a pet rock. <laughs> oh, man. That's too much. Oh, that is, it is funny. I'm, I miss G.I. <laughs> Joe. They ruined oh, the yeah. movies because G.I. Joe was a bomb. Uh, that we had up in Canada for sure. G.I. Joe all over the place. And it's not yeah. a doll. It's an action figure. It's an exactly. action figure. Just <laughs> like, you know, another thing that I owned when I was a kid was uh, the $6 million man doll. I don't know if you guys ever had an uh, action yeah, figure. Action figure. Yeah. You could look through the eye, you know, hold it up and look through his head and look through his <laughs> eye and see what he would I love that. That's a collectible, Andy. You didn't open the box, did you? Yeah, no, I didn't open a box. Matter of fact, I, I think, think I still have a little piece like, of them laying around here somewhere. It's like we're filming grand now. If you haven't the box, Bill. Oh, <clears throat> that the original Stretcher Armstrong. I had a bunch of those. You know, I had the whole collection no, yeah. of Stretcher Armstrong. I remember those. And uh, you, now they don't make them the same. Now they make them with the plastic heads and all that. Well, back then, even his head was squishy. You know. So yeah. yeah. Who I got one already. How about kids? Who, who loved those? That's an 80s thing, though. That's an 80s thing. Yeah, what I about know. the That's S? The best remember those? Uh, remember those SSP cars that you would pull the rip cord out and the yes. big wheel in the middle would oh, spin yeah. and burn the burn the skin off your arm. Yep, yep, yep. <laughs> I used to have a evil <laughs> Knievel motorcycle trick guy. You would pull this thing no. out onto, and he'd take off and go down the street. <laughs> But yeah, that's uh, man. They don't even make stuff like that anymore. I don't think. Well, that's because they got cell phones and, like I said, social media. The kids just stare at their phones. Oh yeah, yeah. you don't need phones. Well, wait a minute, wait a minute. I I stare at my phone all day. (laughs) 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 We're big kids now. We're big kids now. You don't have to. Um, you're young. One thing I do want to cover, guys, real quick. Um. Just so you guys know, I don't know how many of you saw my video, but I lost one of my tarantulas the other day. Yes, I did. I saw it. Yeah. Um, anybody yeah. that has pets, you know, you know you're going to lose them. So I, my caution for everyone is make sure you give every single one of your pets the best life it has because you don't keep them forever. I knew he was going to die, but it doesn't yeah. make it easy. And so make sure whatever pet you have, whether it's you have a big collection like I have or as has, 
or you have a smaller collection. You give each animal the best you possibly can. I that agree. Can? Even totally. a fish. <laughs> totally. <laughs> because, you know, yeah, they don't. Uh, they didn't ask to be in your care. You took them on because you yep. wanted to, and, yep, you give them the best care possible. I have to agree. Believe me, Jay, I, I, get, I get it every day from my wife telling me that I spend more time with my little girls. I definitely yeah. care of these. <laughs> yeah. I, mean, she I spent the last two days doing 15 tarantula, redoing her subject. I do it about once a year just to be uh-huh. safe for mold and make sure that, you know. Right. I clean her cages, but, I mean, I once about once a year and some tarantulas too, depending on the species, but I do the total resubstrate. Just, you know, I mean, just any little thing that you can do to go the extra mile for your pets. And I know as breeders, and you guys, Bill, you'll get this too as you get going into this. Um, but we get labeled as breeders, and we don't care about our animals. All we care about is money, and all we care about is, is our female bringing right. up the breed. And that yeah, that's, the, that's the furthest thing from the truth. And I get I get sick of people saying that. Because the level of care that I know I give my animals, I know you guys give your animals, it's not about the money. Because if we want to make the money, we would set them up in the most, uh, it'd be beyond basic. Well, if it was about the money, we wouldn't be in the animal business, that's for sure. Exactly. Yeah, Yeah, Yeah. that's that's very true. Like I told you, I don't know how much you guys get it. And most oh, of the do. people don't don't understand, you know, the appreciation that we have, at, you know, working with our collections. You know, yeah. Oh, yeah. joy just that you get joy just out of cleaning the the, the tubs. You know, I yeah. do. Yeah, yeah, well, I do. I enjoy doing my tarantulas. I love seeing. Unless... I love seeing clean tubs. Absolutely, all the time. Well, like Unless it's, yeah, them... it's kind of like. If you like, love working in your garden, to me it's the same thing Absolutely. as what we do here. You know, it's almost therapy kind. Of, it's therapeutic for me. I, I can't do crack it. I, it I, is, when I, I come in here, same way. Yeah, yeah. It just kind of relaxes me. It's like uh, uh, yeah. And I do listen. think it's a shame we get labeled that way. I know. I had some guy comment on my rat video. You mess with better an overbred. Rat farmer, how can you do that to those things? I wanted to tell them, dude, those things them. are living healthier than they would ever live in the wild. You know, these you the rats, I take care of them just as much as, as good as I do the, the snakes. You should have answered them back. You know, and, okay, watch tomorrow's video when they're all being eaten. <laughs> <laughs> you know, God. These things. I know. Are, I take care I mean, of my Yubia colonies as if they're my pets. They're my pets. They're yeah, exactly. You love these animals. I mean, my daughter cried the other day when she, when she has to feed the dermal boa. She starts crying because you got to feed it the that's eating weaned rats. You know, she hates I, to see it, but it's life. Emma was over in our steakhouse. I mean, our our uh, rat building over here today, and she come over and she's like, "Dad, I'm like, what?" She's like. All them little baby rats over there, because they're the weanling ones that are on their own, just started to get right. away from their mom now. She opened up the, yeah. drub, the, the tub, and they all looked up at her. She's like, you got to let me keep some of them. You can't feed them or give them to someone. 
they're so cute. I'm like, Emma, I said, go talk to your mom. And her mom's like, no. <laughs> yeah, I, mean, I think that's another thing. We get labeled as not being compassionate because we feed rollers. And that's, could be, that's the furthest thing from the truth. It's not that we're not yeah. compassionate. We are very compassionate. But we also understand that our animals need to eat. And it's no different than me going and buying a steak. And it's, and for the vegetarians out there, it's no different than you going to eat a plant because they, science has proven that plants can feel and sense things. Yeah. It's, so it's, it's part of nature. It's not easy. I had a pet rat for three years because of this issue. That's why I, that exactly. was another big reason why I stopped breeding because I don't mind feeding animals, but I, just, I had to stop breeding because it just, it just got to me. But it doesn't uh, okay. stop me from keeping and feeding. My first yeah. batch of rats that I raised myself when I went to feed them, it was tough to drop them in there. Uh, yeah, it is. It's easier now, but the first time I was like, I don't know. I've watched these guys from the time they were little itty bitty pinkies, man. But, you know, you know it's nature. Today is, oh, sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. I was just going to say, because that, I, I, that was funny you say that, because today we found my dog. Luckily, my German Shepherd is used to the small cats and the bird that I have, so he doesn't mess with them. But he went over and he uses nose to basically dig up uh, rabbits' nests. Now he just laid by it and, let, and he wasn't trying to hurt him or anything. Right. But the first thing I thought of was, man, these would be great sizes for food. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> There you go. <laughs> exactly. And then I called a wildlife rescuer to come and, and take him because, you know, obviously the dog had disturbed the nest. So, we, you know, I did yeah. feed him. I'm not, I'm not going to feed my snakes a wild pet. But, I mean, you do sometimes no. think things like that. And, but you, we all have a big heart and we care about our animals. And I know, I know you, Ed, and I know you, Andrew, and I know – when you raise your rats, you give them the best possible that you can. I see you, if you didn't, you guys would never be in the rat room clean. You guys are constantly in there cleaning, feeding, watering, yeah. checking on oh, the moms, yeah. checking on the fathers, you know, yeah. everything. And so there is I a spend, compassion there. Oh, yeah. We I spend just, more time yeah, in I that just rat spent, room than we do anywhere else. Yeah, and I just spent <clears> $600 <throat> on a new air system to go in that shit so they have clean, fresh air. Because it was summertime coming, and plus an air conditioner, so it stays oh, no yeah. higher than seventy-five. But yeah, I fork out a thousand dollars so those rats are comfortable, they stay alive, they stay healthy. I I buy the best food they can eat. Yeah, you know, I mean it's yeah, it's no because you're putting these in your snake. You want that you know healthy food. Oh Jesus! If you go to a farm, what are they doing? They're raising and slaughtering cattle so we can eat and chickens so. And pigs, so we can eat. Yep. It's the same freaking thing. Freaking thing. They probably don't get the best care, though. But yeah, exactly. No. <laughs> yeah. We, we give more care than they do, I probably I would agree with that. I guarantee it. I guarantee we do. I guarantee, I even It's kind of fun with the rats. I don't know if you do it, Andy, but I've actually, when I got my first set of rats from Freedom Breeders, Jesse gave me a couple of white ones, one with a little bit of gray in it. And I bred those two together. Now I've I've made this weird gray-looking solid, really light tan with dark red eyes. I mean, it's a beautiful rat. It is a trip. I've never seen anything almost 
we could probably could sell these as pets. But <laughs> even when I brought them up to the Serpitarium, because there's a place that takes some of these rats from me, they go, they put, I brought them in the van, and they're pulling them out, and they're going, what the heck? And I'm going, what's wrong? He goes, do you handle these a lot? I said, well, yeah, I got I clean the things, you know, twice a week, so I got to pull the rats out, put them back on. Because they they said they never seen rats so tame before. You know, because you could just I'm, hold them; they don't bite, they don't squeal. You know, yeah, which is good. Yeah. Stay on your hand. Yeah, time spent. Yeah. Time invested. But yeah, you can actually have um, fun breeding different colors. I, I was so tempted to I'm so tempted to go find a different color rat and throw it in there, just to. Um, change up the look a little bit because these guys you know they're oh, all like hooded rats so i think it would be cool well i actually had someone ask me if i sell pet rats mm-hmm. and i don't see any reason that's why i was trying to do this lighter color you know because it looks like a pet i mean you would never i've never seen a rat this color with a dark red eye I mean, oh, I see the bright cool. red eyes and the white rats, but this has got a it's a, a tan color with dark, dark red eyes. It's a totally cool. I'll send you a photo of it. I actually put two of them on my Facebook page. These two little rats, you'll see if you look on my Facebook page. Yeah, I have to go <laughs> check it out. Those are pretty neat. Yeah. So I separated yeah. all the gray colored ones from the black and white colored ones and the dark brown so I'm trying to do some weird, you know, see if I can come up with some cool colors. Make a little fun out of it anyways. Yeah. You know, not just I, uh, a bunch of males and females. No, no. Uh, I, that's what I would like to do, but I don't know. If, I got to check with Becky. I don't know. She's pretty much just, if we started changing colors up and got somewhat like red eyes or something, she'd probably fall in love with them and be like, no. <laughs> <laughs> Gotta keep them for her. Gotta have a million yeah. Pets. Uh, yeah, I ended up with a pet rat, pet rat for three years because of that. <laughs> yeah, she was great. She was potty trained, and we just left her cage door open. The cats left her alone, and she would come out when you were when we were up. She would sit on us, and when she had to go to the bathroom, she'd run back in, use the little litter box we had in there, come out. See, they're she smart. Great. She never chewed on any wire. wires or anything. We locked her up at night, obviously. But during the daytime when we were up, she was just out. She would sit on my shoulder, and we named her Jeannie. Her genius is a great rat. <laughs> Does anybody else have a problem if they switch up the color of their rats when they're feeding the snakes? That they won't mm. take they won't take a brown one. They only want a white one. I have that problem. I got two snakes that will not take, like sometimes my supplier will give me a bag of black ones, you know, or a black and white one. That and usually I has got, so to do, deal with the sense of smell uh, because a lot right, of I know. snakes won't take hairless rats. Right. I know it's not a color thing. It is just, it's weird though. <laughs> interesting. I snakes, you know, I have interesting two enough. snakes that only want, you know, the pure, the whiter. I don't know what it is. So what they sense they may, about them. They may smell different. You know, they might have different uh, dander or whatever. Even though they're a rat, yeah, you never know. Uh, because the hair the quality could be different, right? Because it I know so weird. 
um, they come with longer hair and they come with shorter hair. And some of them have like, I don't know if any of you guys have ever watched Edward Tyndall's uh, videos or not. He's got ones with oh, mohawks. Yeah. Uh, he's got hair. <laughs> I know. It, it's crazy. He's got a hell of a collection. Yeah. But now I know the hairless rats are hard to breed. They, they'll breed. They'll, they don't like taking care of their babies. Uh, it, it's all kinds of stuff. And they can't take it to warm. Once the temperature goes up on the rats, uh, they get really sick really easy, them hairless ones. They can't take heat at all. Don't they have dermatology problems, too, with their skin? Yeah, you got to oil them down. you got to put lotion on the adults because their skin will dry up and crack. Where the babies, you don't have to do that because oh, you're, yeah. you're going to cut them off right away. But I can't see breeding yeah. a hairless rat because there's too much work involved. And you got to lotion them. And to let them get even big enough to feed off, you probably got to lotion them. Plus they're freaky looking. Yeah, they are kind of, <laughs> you know, you're like, whoa. <laughs> what's, what's, the cons of, what's the cons of raising your own soft birds? Well, one, the state has to allow you to have them. Right. The state has, whatever state you're in, some states don't allow you to have them. Mm, Um, Yeah, California, they're illegal. You can't do them here. Yeah. Well, here's the problem with soft furs, too. Some snakes will start eating them, okay? And they will never switch back to anything else. They would starve to death before they ate it. Yeah. I've heard that. it, it it could be tough. And then that's like people feeding mice, too, to their snakes. You know, the ball pythons right. starting off the baby ball right. pythons on mice. Why would you start them off on mice when you can buy start off with I, pinkies all the way up? You can start feeding them them rats right off the bat. Because they do tend to, be, yeah, if you exactly. tend to feed them tend to feed them mice when they're little, uh, the chances of them switching over, it, it can get a little tricky. So why not just eat a rat right. right off the bat from the get-go? See, that, and you talk about things not being legal. I mean, in Colorado, you're not allowed to have preventamite um, because there's links to cancers yeah. with preventamite, which is why Frontline yeah. is a much better alternative. It, not only is it safer, but it's 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 a much, it's not it's a much better product. Um, so you got to be careful with preventamite because it can cause and has a link to cancer. Um, Pro Exotics had a big thing about that Before they had their big fire The Preventamite They were selling it big time It was a big seller for them And in Colorado outlawed it Because of the cancer that it could cause So they went into a big thing about that But like I said, anything costs cancer nowadays. Toothpaste to cause cancer. Yeah, so, well, guys, it's that time. So, you want to give your show each one of your channels a shout out? Oh yeah. Start off. We'll start off with Bill and work our way down. Hey, thanks again, Andy. I appreciate it. I always learn something, and hopefully, I share some tidbits of my knowledge with everybody too. So check us out on YouTube, Instagram, BC Pythons. Bill, have a good night. Yep. Thanks for being on, Bill. Uh, Jay? Yeah, um, you can find me on Instagram and YouTube, Boxing Boa. 
one word, and you can you can find me on on those two things, and have, you'll have fun with me. Hashtag Team Sexy every day. <laughs> Thanks for being on. Uh, I appreciate it. KB Reptiles. Yeah. Hey guys. Uh, thank you very much for tonight and having me on. Uh, love listening to you guys. Check out KB Reptiles Instagram, Facebook, KB Reptiles Twenty Four. Check us out on YouTube as well, and uh, all great guys here with us tonight. So thanks again, guys. Well, thanks for being on. Ed, you want to go ahead and give yourself a shout-out there, buddy? Sure. Ed, CMC Reptiles. You can get me on YouTube and on Facebook, CMC Reptiles. All right. And then, uh, yeah, ours is uh, DA Exotics. You can find us on YouTube. We have a Facebook page. We have an Instagram page. And uh, I hope everybody enjoyed the show. And uh, I hope to see you guys all next week. All right, Andy. Oh, yeah, I'll be here. Sounds good. Baby, Bill. Peace out, everybody. Good night. Good night, guys. Good night. Good show. Later. Bye. Bye.